Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, and I'm here with the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast on Quantum of Solace, the new James Bond movie. In the studio with me is Tanner Colby. Hi, Tanner. Hi, Dana. He is the author of The Chris Farley Show and... An unofficial James Bond historian and expert. Yes, and therefore the, the perfect partner extraordinaire for this uh, this podcast. So let's let's start off. Let's see. What are, what are we going to do first? Plot summary? Yes. Quantum of Solace picks up right where Casino Royale left off, where James Bond had tracked down Mr. White, the man responsible for Vesperlin's death. He takes him to a debriefing in Siena, Italy. And from there, uh, Mr. White escapes and James Bond goes on the... Uh, on the hunt for this mysterious organization uh, that he's got to uh, track down to get revenge. Which is called Quantum, hence it's the title Quantum, of the movie. It's called Quantum, hence the title. The title of the movie actually comes from a, a small phrase in one of the Ian Fleming books. It's uh, uh, Quantum of Solace is like a, a bit of respite, right. you know, a moment of rest. But um, this is not. This is an entirely original Bond plot. It's not an from entirely original book. Bond plot, but they took that phrase and then they extrapolated the name of this new specter-like organization where everyone wears a Q on their lapel. And so right, the, one of those top secret organizations where you wear a lapel pin. Yeah, one of those top secret organizations where you uh, wear the uh, insignia all the time. Like if only there was an Al-Qaeda lapel pin. If only there was an Al-Qaeda lapel pin, it would be much, much easier. And so this organization, they, they work with the CIA and they topple governments and instigate coups and do all this crazy stuff. And they're now operating in Bolivia trying to destabilize the country's water supply so that they can basically take the whole country hostage. But under the cloak, I found this interesting of a, of a green organization, literally yeah. green, led by the villain of this movie, whose name is Dominique Green, played by Matthew Amalric. Yes, and, and, uh, and I guess the idea is that he is trying to corner the country's water supply and make people pay for their own water. Yes, which is actually true in Bolivia, where Bolivia privatized the water supply, and they're uh, exploiting that for the plot. And if this all sounds overly plotted, that's because it is. And the plot in this movie really kind of gets away in the way of what is should be a lot of fun and Bond formula, which... Uh, I think we both agree they got away from a little too much. Yeah, I think you and I would both agree that the temperature of this movie is, you know, a little more tepid than the last Bond movie. I think it's part of an interesting new run with the Daniel Craig movies. And, you know, we both let's talk about the stuff we did enjoy about it. So we don't start trying. You were just saying you're far too much of a Bond loyalist to start off by bagging on the movie. Well, the things that the, the main thing that's great about it is Craig himself, who is one of, you know, I love all the Bonds for their own idiosyncratic charms, but he's great, and he has a lot of fun, and they're starting to let him loosen up a little more. He has a couple of moments of humor uh, where he walks into a five-star hotel, and you know what, he's supposed to be undercover for being a teacher on sabbatical, and he walks into the five-star hotel and says, I'm a teacher on sabbatical, and I've just won the lottery. I'd like your best suite. And they're just letting him have a little more fun, and I think now that uh, he's avenged Vesper by the end of the movie and he's now a full-fledged secret agent. He goes on in the next movie, and hopefully they'll start letting him have a little more fun. Yeah, we were saying that this movie feels a little bit like a like a middle chapter in a trilogy, and that it has a certain... It's a little bit boring, but it feels like a bit of a necessary boringness for establishing, you know, this midpoint that his character's at. He's just lost his great love, Vesper Lind, in the first, you know, Daniel Craig chapter. And this movie is all about getting revenge for her death and getting over her. So, yeah. so there's not, for example, a romantic subplot of any import or interest in this movie. The girls are complete throwaways. The girls are complete throwaways. And again, it's, it's an example of Bond reacting too strongly to the world around him, which he often does. After Star Wars, they came out with Moonraker, which was just a, a disaster. But they were. You mean the to... Bond franchise re- reacting too strongly yeah. to the market? The Bond franchise the reacting too strongly to the market, and now with the Bourne movies taking off and making millions of dollars, they feel like they have to, you know, Jason Bourne the Bond franchise, uh, which is great and needed to be done to a certain extent after Die Another Day, which had space lasers. 
uh, and all sorts of you know invisible cars and nonsense. But now I think they've gone, they've overcorrected with this movie. This movie, they just wrote it a little too small, I think, and the stakes are never really that big, and uh, none of the set pieces are really that grand. And at some point, you want a villain with a secret lair inside a volcano because that's what's fun, and they need to get back to that a little bit, I think. Do you want to talk a little bit about where this stands in the in the pantheon of, of, of Bond movies? You were also saying that it sort of it sort of struck you that it has an equivalent in the... It does, and it's a much better movie than License to Kill, which was really probably one of the worst Bond movies of all time, but it, it has a similar feel to Is it. Is that a Roger Moore one? No, that's Timothy Dalton. After Roger Moore had gone overboard with all the spectacle and, and you know, secret agent stuff... Uh, they went back down to basics with Timothy Dalton in the late 80s, and they had licensed. They had uh, Living Daylights, which was a really fun, good, down-to-earth spy movie about Soviet defectors and, and that sort of thing. And they followed that up with, oh, let's get even grittier, where J- James Bond's just on a revenge mission uh, against this you know, South American drug dealer. And uh, it was a very dour and humorless movie. And similarly with Brosnan, like with Moore, they went over the top with all the spectacle stuff, and then they got back down to basics with Casino Royale, and then they said, okay, that worked. Let's get even more granular with this, and uh, they just went too small. Well, what's happening with Craig is, I mean, obviously so far Craig has been the the, the Bond who doesn't enjoy being Bond. That's sort of his trademark a little bit so far, right? He drinks mm-hmm. the drink, the iconic drink, but he never really asks for it. It's just what the bartender happens to make. There's sort of this, this the running joke about Craig, I guess, is that he's this very um, gloomy and brooding Bond who doesn't doesn't take the pleasure that some of the earlier ones did and, you know, Bond's various debonair pleasures. Do you think that's going to change and they're going to try to move him in a, I in think, a more frivolous direction? I think that they, they, they have to. And I think that they will. And he had a little bit of fun in this one, like I said, with the hotel and, and with seducing the uh, Fields, the British agent who, who meets up with him in Bolivia. And he's starting to have a little fun with it. And I think in the next movie, if if they're smart, in the next movie they'll bring Q back. They'll bring a little bit of the gadgets back. They'll keep it gritty and they'll keep it keep it hard-hitting and won't go frivolous with it. But they'll we'll see more of this secret organization, Quantum, that if it takes on a specter like... Uh, if they follow the trajectory of the Connery years, where you had Spectre doing low-level spy stuff in Doctor No and in uh, in For Much with Love, and then Spectre they skip Goldfinger, and then Spectre comes back in Thunderball with a big you know nuclear sabotage plot, and then you know by You Only Live Twice they're going completely overboard with you know the lair and the volcano and 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 space rockets and stuff, and so I think in the next movie we need to see gadgets. And more women and uh, a quantum uh, layer inside a volcano, and we we need to get back there. You were noticing also that there's been a there's been a reduction in girls per movie in the Bond movies. That there used to be the, there the, the three girl standard. There was a three girl standard. There was a meaningless girl that he slept with along the way. There was a girl who was integral to the plot who gave up some vital bit of information, and then he slept with her. And then she was always killed. And then there was the main Bond girl who was uh, you know uh, the damsel in distress and. Uh, hand up uh, together at the end and they've sort of discarded that model for the for the two bond girl model where uh there's one girl in this one there's one girl who's just meaningless along the way and then the second girl who's just meaningless along the way and um that seems as as in a way part of the narrative of this movie though which is you know about sort of 
as we were saying, the middle chapter in which Bond recovers from his heartbreak. And at the end of the movie, he's find, found out the truth about Vesper Lynn, which we can spoil because this is a spoiler special. And it's that she did not, in fact, betray him. Or if she did, it was in the context of trying to save his life. So, you know, yeah. she was, as it turned out, a good good girl and not a bad girl. And right. I guess this somehow psychologically frees him to throw her necklace symbolically in the snow and, and move on. So yes. so maybe he's ready for, you know, another big Bond girl, the Ursula yeah. Andress of the of the aughts in the next yes. Bond movie. The other the other thing we can spoil, I think, is the action sequences, which are just overdone and poorly shot and uh, incoherent. And I think that that's the problem. It's, it's it's like when you got Ang Lee to direct The Incredible Hulk, you're going to get Ang Lee's Incredible Hulk. And in this one, we got Mark Forrester, who is a brilliant director who does wonderful character stuff in Finding Neverland and The Kite Runner and, and these Academy Award-winning films. But he doesn't really know how to make an action movie. He's a little too caught up in the characters. You kind of want a hack director who's going to follow the formula so that, you know, just to create a template so that Daniel Craig can go up there and just be Bond. Yeah, the action scenes to me, I was saying there might as well be a title card put up that says plane chase takes place here. You know, it's just very hard to follow what's going on and they're loud and, you know, expensive looking, but they're right. not, the, all the wit sort of drains out of the movie. There's not any bondiness or, or any, no, any no fun quips. being had. And, um, or I mean fun with the action itself, the way the scaffolding chase at the beginning of, of Casino Royale had you know a lot of wit within the actual chase. Yeah. All right. May, we may differ on the villain in this one. I don't know if you liked him as much as I did. I didn't think he was particularly well used, but I love the actor, Matthew Amalric, the French actor. And I think you know his, his style, his particular sort of, he's a very slight kind of bug-eyed guy, you know, with right. a very intense screen presence, although he's, he's quite he's quiet. He's got like a wormy Napoleon complex, which is really, really frightening. And the other, the, the other Bond template that they ignored is you can either have a big, imposing, scary villain or you can have the small wormy villain but the small wormy villain needs a big scary henchman so that you have some sort of physical showdown as well and this one was utterly lacking there there was no jaws there was no odd job uh there was no uh you know brutish thug that had to be taken out and um well, the casting of Amalric I thought was was really great, and he does a great job in the role. But he his his villain is not particularly well imagined. And then this final no. showdown that takes place in this strange building in the desert that I guess is supposed to be a hotel is, is an yeah. extreme anticlimax because you know all of these kind of geopolitical questions have been put into play. And then, in fact, when it comes down to it, all Matthew Amalric, the villain Dominique Green, this mm-hmm. this guy who's posing as an environmentalist while actually you know making. Bolivian peasants pay for their water. All he wants is for the uh, the dictator of Bolivia, the guy who's about to assume the, the seat of dictator of Bolivia, to sign this lease. So there's yeah. this remarkably anticlimactic scene of the, the two of them basically sitting at a boardroom table talking about yeah. this lease, and which, which as, as a fellow slate editor said, has all the excitement of an afternoon at the King's County Registry of Deeds. It's just yeah. it's not a particularly compelling moment. Well, I mean, the, the whole idea, that basically the, 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 the plot of the movie is that this secret organization, Quantum, is engineering this coup for this corrupt Bolivian general or, or colonel or whoever so that he will be in charge of the country. But they've uh, had him uh, cede to them a lease for this massive tract of worthless land, which only they know contains a vast hidden underground lake, which can solve the country's water supply problems. And so all they do is make him sign a lease that doubles their revenue from the water. They don't let him become the generalissimo of the country and then hold him hostage and get him to do whatever they want while holding the water supply, you know, over his head, which would have been a fascinating development. But instead it's like, oh, sign this lease and we'll, you know, it's two for one on water day in Bolivia, which just seemed 
far too trivial. And then that 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 lease signing, the lease signing climax is is then followed by you know the climactic action scene in which this hotel basically catches fire because of various you know bombs that are being set off within it. Mm-hmm. And there was just there was there's a lot of um, being passively trapped in this in this last action sequence that we were observing, where both the main girl played by what's the actress's name Olga Kurylenko, the main interchangeable Bond chick, is sort of trapped with this dictator in one burning room while Matthew Amalric is trapped in another burning room with James Bond. And there's just sort of this really long, boring action sequence in which the question is, who's going to burn to death first, right? Yes. But I think the best sequence in the movie, hands down, was Tosca, when uh, James Bond follows this... uh, when, When there was still a great deal of intrigue going on in the movie, and you find out that uh, the CIA and Felix Leiter, who should be a Bond ally, are actually possibly in bed with Green and Quantum because they're trying to get their hands dirty with this coup in Bolivia. You're wondering, okay, where is this going to go? And Bond follows Green to Austria and goes to an opera production of Tosca where all the members or leaders of this organization, Quantum, have are meeting. And the way that they meet and communicate is they go to the opera and they've all got earpieces and they silently whisper to each other during the opera. And, you know, they're in a faceless crowd of a thousand people watching this opera so nobody can identify that they're all meeting together, which is, I thought was a really, really neat conceit. And then uh, Daniel Craig, who's eavesdropping, eavesdropping on them, says... I think you people need to find a better place to meet. And that was an subtly, old school Bond scene because yeah, you've got was, the elegance of the opera setting and guys in tuxedos and opera boxes, you yeah. know, having these these clandestine conversations about evil things. And that actually sort of felt like Mark Forster did know what he was doing. You know, right. he's a good director of that sort of middle brow, you know, elegance or something. He just yeah. doesn't know what he's doing when there's a bunch of jeeps chasing each other through the desert. Right. And then when, you know, the, all the people get scared and get up to leave and he takes their pictures and you realize that this organization, Quantum, some of the members, like, is uh, one of the members is the top advisor to the British prime minister. And so they don't know how deep the rabbit hole goes. And I think the potential for what they've set up in the next movie could be great. If they stick with Quantum, which I don't see why they wouldn't, because presumably the head, Mr. White, is not dead yet, right? He got yeah. away from his interrogation sequence. All right, let's briefly, briefly talk about um, just the casting outside of Daniel Craig, Judy Dench, and, you know, who else is in the movie and who, who should they keep? Well, Judy Dench obviously is, is great, and she and Daniel Craig have a great rapport together. I don't know why M wasn't always a woman. Just like I don't know why we always didn't have a black president. But anyway, so that's But you great. want Q in the mix next time. I think that – I don't know if they want to go back to John Cleese. Well, actually, John Cleese was R. They retired Q with Desmond Llewellyn as well they should have because he was an institution. So, But they need to bring back the gadget shop with the cool stuff. And it doesn't have to be that over the top, uh, but – you know they need to bring that back, and the women need to be more interesting next time. The one great thing, and I would say probably the best image in the whole movie, is when uh, Bond comes back to his hotel room, and the British agent that he'd been sleeping with along the way is lying in bed covered in oil, and she's black uh, from head to toe, the same way that Joe Masterson was in Goldfinger when she's painted in gold. And it's a brilliant scene and a brilliant homage to to the old the old school bond and it's a complete red herring because the whole idea the whole reason the cia and the british secret service are supporting this coup is uh because they think there's oil under this desert and there's not it's just it's water and so but covering the girl in water on the bed would just somehow not have near the visual pop that covering her in black crude does yes and so that was that was a brilliant image and you know that sort of planted the movie firmly in the bond tradition because otherwise i don't know that it would have been because they depart from the formula so much. 
So despite the fact that, you know, we both agree that this is somewhat of a lackluster Bond movie. I'll see it six times because it's a James Bond movie. But I was going to ask about the, the next chapter. It nonetheless leaves you breathless for the next Daniel Craig chapter. You know, he's got he's signed on for two more, so there'll be at least two more with him. Yeah, well, if 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 they are trying to make a Bourne trilogy here, which I think maybe they are, this is a great... It'll end up retroactively being a great middle chapter. When I walked out of the middle Bourne movie, I was completely disappointed and then when i saw the third one i was like oh yeah, it all makes sense you're such a fanboy only a fanboy would give so much credence to the boring movie that's the middle chapter but i have to admit them I, I i agree in spite of all the longers of this movie it, it made me excited to see what where they're going to go next with the franchise and also what's exciting is that mark forrester won't be back directing and hopefully they'll uh get they'll tap a, a hack again a good action director yeah hack. brett ratner kevin smith no sorry um <laughs> So, no, but if they, they just go back to Martin Campbell or just like a good workman action director, I think they'll have uh, exactly what they need. Well, Tanner, thanks a lot for um, seeing the movie with Thank me. Thank you. And thanks for coming in for this Slate Spoiler Special. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.